0: church at multiple locations. I'm thinking about everybody who's uh, participating online, those of you at 95th, those of you at Brook, those at Wheaton, and at Hobson. Thank you for coming, and thank you for being a part of this final week in our series called Parables. Do you realize this is it? We are uh, ar- arriving at the end of this, you should know, next week where we have a special Palm Sunday service, and then the weekend after that's Easter, the this series has been a study of grace, and grace can change everything in our lives. It's this dynamic that's so foreign to planet Earth. Grace is about receiving benefit, being loved, and you don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. And grace, when understood and internalized, it'll change the way you relate to God. It'll change what you see in the mirror as you look at yourself through the eyes of grace. Grace will change the way you relate with people. And grace will change the way you do evangelism. You know that? That's what we're talking about today. Compelled by grace. Evangelism is this high calling of going out and helping people find God. You know, most of the world wanders without their maker. Disconnected from the God who loves them and we as his children have been given the responsibility to help people understand what they're missing and what they could have and this role of helping people find god is called evangelism and if you want to know what compels what motivates people to do this act of service it's grace grace Kindles a fuel of excitement in them. some of you. Are like, I don't know why you're talking, I don't want to help anybody find God. Okay, you need to hear this message because you need to feel the motivating dynamic that grace can bring. Let me begin by introducing you to Sarah Cummins. Sarah is a grad student at Purdue and was a bride to be so excited about her dream wedding. She and her fiancé had planned the most extravagant of weddings, and here it had arrived. They were days away from the wedding. It was the week of the wedding when the relationship ended, and the wedding had to be called off. She doesn't tell us the cause of this drama, but she does reveal how brokenhearted, how absolutely devastated. Isn't that a nightmare? Can you imagine having to call 170 guests or emailing them, however you contact them when you're canceling your wedding, and say, hey, guess what? No wedding. Having to call the pastor and say, hey, thanks for your service. You got the night off, you know. Having to call the church. And then she had to call the reception hall. And the banquet hall said, eh, well, that's interesting to hear, but you don't get any money back. She's like, what? They had invested, cut this, $30,000. This was going to be a reception, a banquet of the highest order, over $100 a plate. And uh, they said, yeah, well, we ordered the food, for crying out loud. Much of the food is here. Should have read the fine print. It's a no-refund policy. And just... The poor girl was devastated in so many ways. And as she was just lamenting about this immense investment going to waste, she had an idea. Maybe you heard about this. It was on the news. Uh, Sarah called back the banquet hall and said, hey, good news. Uh, The reception's on. And they were like, oh, congratulations. I'm glad you reconciled. No, no, no wedding is on, but the reception's on. And they're like, huh? She goes, I'm bringing 170 friends and we're gonna have a party. And then she called a homeless shelter and told the director, would you please extend this invitation to all of your guests? She explained the situation. The director was just thrilled. The director called back later that day and said, you know, I've got 25 guests who are so excited to be a part of this. And she's like, oh, well, that's great, but I got 170 plates. And so if you find any more, let me know. And then she called another homeless shelter and, you know, explained, director, you need to sell this for me. Help these people understand no strings attack. Test, absolutely free, gourmet food. We're talking of the finest order, uh, wine, uh, uh, desserts, appetizers, steak. It's going to be extraordinary. They don't want to miss this. And the director said, I'll, I'll call you back and tell you how many are coming. And another director was called, and another director was called. And as they sold this opportunity, eventually, all 170 plates were filled And on that glorious day, wouldn't it have been fun to have seen that? All all of these folks who are at a really hard place in life, they arrive on these buses and they come out and they see this elegant place and they're like, whoa! And they come walking in a little sheepishly to see all of these, this army of servants in black tuxedo holding silver trays saying, welcome, can I serve you? And friends, they ate like they have never eaten before. And the music of the band played, and they danced the night away. It was like a dream. Isn't that a great story? And friends, it's a great story, I think in part, because Jesus told it long before Sarah lived it. Jesus told the parable of the great banquet to help us understand our lives. This parable has the capacity to open our eyes to the reality of who we are and where we're living and what's going on and what great privilege we have. So let's look at it together, shall we? This is found in Luke 14, starting in verse 16. Jesus said, A, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. This is not the end. There's a lot more to come, but let's pause here for a moment. It's important to know that God chose the imagery of a banquet to describe his cause, his kingdom, his family, his invitation. The image of a banquet is not only found in this parable. In the Old Testament, God calls it the great banquet. In the whole of the New Testament, in the book of Revelations at the end, it's always God inviting people to a banquet. That's huge. You know, a banquet's not a meal. A meal is just plain get-fed kind of thing. A banquet is extravagance. It's joy of the highest order. And God said, what I invite people to, it's a great banquet. That's huge because a lot of folks, when they look at Christianity, they're like, it's a great bore. No. They would say, it's dull. No. They would say, you know, why are you so enthused about some list of rules that keeps you from fun? And and we want to say, listen, if that's your perception of what the Christian life is like, you are so wrong. When you experience what God's inviting us into, when you taste of the joy of being forgiven, and to be guilt free, when you taste of the privilege of being adopted into God's family, feeling His love just pouring down on you, experiencing the adventure of being led by Him as He writes your life story and brings significance and adventure into it, when you understand what God's inviting you to, you understand why He calls it a great banquet because it's awesome. So good to see. And I would add, and it's free. You know, it says here that they were guests, not customers. You know, customers have to pay. Uh, the nature of this banquet is you're a guest. This is free of charge. And that's the astounding thing of this Christian invitation. It's all grace. We we are undeserving, unmerited, and yet God says, Would you come? You're invited. And those who come receive this great benefit at no cost to them. Extraordinary. Uh, Friends, we are not only those who are invited to the banquet, we are also the servant in this story. You know what's the servant's role? Hey, go out there and invite people to this great opportunity. As, As Christ's ambassadors, as those who represent him to a world that doesn't know him, that's one of our roles is to say, man, I just got to tell you, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. And you go, you sound like a used car salesman. Well, I'm selling uh, no rust bucket. I am selling the greatest thing possible. What you were made for, what your soul craves, you just don't realize it yet. We were made for relationship with our Maker, and there is an angst and an emptiness until we found life. With him, like we were made for. And I'm just telling you, he's invited you. And it's free. Come. This is a great image, but the parable's not over. In fact, it gets a little mind-boggling in the next verse. Verse 18 says this. But they all began to make excuses. Uh, these are the people invited by the servant. They're invited to this free, extraordinary banquet. And they began to make excuses? The first said, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. You know, a field in the ancient agricultural society that Jesus lived in, that spoke of a business opportunity. That's why I've put career here. One of the first excuses is, is a job. A lot of people say, no, I don't have interest or time for God. Because of my career aspirations, I want to be successful in the worst way. Now, let me be clear. Your job is a blessing. It's a good thing. I'm not wanting to paint career as anything other than a gift from God. We should pursue our careers with passion. But if our career becomes so important to us that it chokes out the space for God, your job is robbing you of life at that point. Don't let it. Push God out. The next verse, that was 18. How about 19? Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Again, we, we're not big on oxen, I'm guessing. You know, we've got to remember back then they didn't have cars, and so the, the transportation was done by oxen, yoked, you know, pulling a cart, a carriage, or some farming implement. And this guy is like, I want to go try them out. You know, take my oxen for a test drive. Woo! You know? And so it would be similar to us in our fascination with automobiles or other possessions. And possessions are great. Again, they're a gift from God. We are to enjoy them, giving him praise and thanks for the blessing. But if your stuff becomes such a big part of your life, and, and we're so in danger of this in this materialistic society where a collection of stuff becomes everything to us, chasing out God, taking away the margin to pursue and seek Him and take Him up on His invitation to life together at the great banquet, then your stuff is killing you. One more. So that's nineteen, how about verse twenty? Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Relationships. This is the third excuse, and why people don't want to go to the banquet. Again, relationships are great. Marriage is great. Pursuing a spouse, it's great. Building a marriage, it's great. Raising children, building friendship—all good stuff. But if your friends become so much of a priority that there isn't space for God, your friends are robbing you. And so, friends, don't make the mistake of letting these excuses choke you of what you were meant to enjoy, and that is the great banquet of God Almighty, all right? So all these people are making excuses, and the servant has to come back to the master and tell him, you know what? Many of them aren't coming. Verse 21, the servant came back, and he reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. <laughs> those are the outcasts. You know, this, this guy is like, you know, we've invited the wrong people. We've invited these people who've got everything that they need, apparently. They don't have need of the banquet. Well, let's go invite those who know that they're missing out and that there's something great for them. Invite those who don't get invited to these banquets. Invite those. You know, most of the time in the ancient society, and maybe ours, we invite the wealthy or the important or the powerful who can return the favor later on and invite us. Here, the master says, go invite those who have no capacity to pay back, who yearn for this as a great privilege. And do you realize spiritually that's what Jesus did? He went to spiritual outcasts again and again, to sinners and tax collectors, those who had an ache in their heart and knew there's got to be more than this. They tended to be the ones who responded to the invitation with enthusiasm, and they're like, yeah, sign me up. Do you know Christianity is for beggars alone? And by that, I mean those who realize I'm desperate for more. And I believe that the emptiness in me is something I can't fill. God, you're my only hope. I beg you, do for me what I can't do for myself. Until you become a beggar, you got no place in the banquet. And so the, the master says, go to those who want something more, who know that they're empty, who will recognize the great privilege that this... Doesn't it remind you of what Sarah did when she invited the homeless people to this banquet? They came! Yeah! They recognized the great opportunity when they saw one. And we must come to the end of ourselves and not be uh, faked into thinking that we can fill our own hearts and that we've got all we need. No, you don't! We're all beggars if you can just see. And come to the banquet. All right, here's verse 22 and 23, and we're gonna camp on these verses for a while because they're so good. The servant responded, so he says, go out and invite the outcasts. The servant responded, what you ordered has been done, but there's still more room. Well, then the master told the servant, then go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And that's how the parable ends. Friends, let's, let's, let's talk about this, and let's start by highlighting this first phrase here. What you ordered has been done. What had the master ordered? That he go to the streets and invite those who were social outcasts. And uh, the guy's able to say, you know what, I read your mind. I, I knew your heart. And I've already done it. Many of them have said yes, but there's still more room. Uh, what, what is it about ordering, uh, your order has been done? I wonder if you can look God in the eyes and say, regarding the, the responsibility to invite spiritually empty people to your banquet, your order has been done. Can you say that to God? Are you able to look him in the eye and say, I invited him? Uh, many of us have not, and that is one of our great missed opportunities we need to invite people. Sometimes you can invite them to church, and that's as simple as it is. I'm shocked when I talk with people and I say, hey, how did you find our church? A neighbor invited me. I'm like, that's all it took. That's all it took. I, I wanted something, and I had a feeling it was God. And so when they said, do you want to come? I said, yes. Some people are like ripe fruit. I mean, they are so eager for the banquet. All they need is an invitation to church, and at church, they understand the great invitation to God's banquet, and they come. Because of that, I want to invite the ushers at all of our campuses to pass out Easter invitation cards. Do you realize that in two weeks as Easter arrives, this is the greatest opportunity of the year? Every year, more people come to our Easter service than any other service. Folks are inclined to go to church on Easter when they're not inclined at any other time of the year. I don't know why, but I'll take it. You know, they just, in our culture, it's a thing to do. You go to church. And so take one, take many of these. Take as many as you feel inclined to invite. Because you can come to a neighbor and just say, Hey, I don't know if you have a church for Easter, but wanted to invite you. And people will come. Uh, Our Easter service is called Fearless if you remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in his first resurrection encounter with the women who came to his grave, they discussed fear and the removal of it. And I can't wait. Here, I'm gonna tell you a little secret, all right? We're gonna bamboozle our guests. We're pulling a little trick on them. Uh, Fearless is not only the topic for Easter, it's the first week of a seven-week series. So I'm gonna say to them, thank you, Look at all of you! Thank you for coming to this seven-week series. That's, that's a very... <laughs> Obviously, we can't force them to come back, but maybe they will be so moved and intrigued by what they hear and learn that they'll say, "You know what? I want to do." I did week one of this series. I want to check out week two, just just week two, and then just three, and then maybe four. And God's going to use this in great ways. So, please uh, invite folks, and God. Might just use it in ways that make your mind spin and your heart explode with the great privilege that it is. So, back to our verse. We've highlighted here there is still room. What does that mean? Do you remember when Sarah, uh, I can imagine she got to 150 guests were invited from these homeless shelters and coming, but she said, I paid for 170 plates at 100 bucks a pop. I don't want to see any of that go to waste. And she was eager to see it filled. In the ancient days, when they threw a big banquet like this, they would calculate how many guests do we anticipate, how much food should we buy, how many animals should we cook, how many loaves of bread should we bake, how much wine should we buy? And they had a capacity number, and they wanted that capacity reached. They didn't want to waste their investment. God has made an investment. He's paid a big price to make this banquet available. What's the price that he paid? The blood of Jesus Christ. That's the price. God, in human flesh, died on the cross, satisfying justice for you and me. He said, Jeff Griffin, you got a lot of sin, and we need to get that paid for, and so I will pay the penalty on your behalf. And then that, his death covers your sin as well as mine, and your sin as well as mine, and your sin as well as mine. You say, well, how many sins does it cover? I mean, God dying for people, that's a pretty big price. How many people is that good for? So interesting. It says in 1 John 2:2 2, 2, that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. The price is so extravagant that a place has been paid for, a, a meal has been bought for every single human being. And it drives God crazy to see that investment squandered in some cases. Isn't that a great way to look at it? The price has been paid. Will you come? How about this? The master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes. Go. You know, some people think of the Christian faith as come to church, and it's partly that. We come, we learn, we worship, we study. But Christianity is also about go. You don't end your Christian thing when you leave church. You start your Christian thing. You, you go as his representative to a world out there. I used to uh, I love this preacher, a uh, friend of mine, and he used to end his services by saying, thanks for coming. Now go into the highways and the byways. And that was how the King James translated this phrase, the highways and the byways. Get out there and be Christ man, Christ woman, Christ child. Let's represent him courageously to a world that needs him. What's next? Uh, And compel them. This is fascinating. He's already said, your order has been done. What was the order? Invite them. I've invited all of them. And he says, well, that's not enough. We've still got more room. So now get back out there to the same people. This time, an invitation is insufficient. We've got to compel them. Sometimes telling a person, hey, come to church. Sometimes that's enough. Other times, it's not. And so you're like, all right, how am I going to compel people, inspire people, motivate people, persuade people? It's a good question. And Jesus provided a brilliant way to do it. In fact, one year ago, some of you haven't been here uh, for a year, so let me tell you what we did. We had a series called Pearl. Uh, Pearl was a study of the five-step evangelism, relational evangelism strategy taught and modeled by Jesus Christ. And it's so easy. Some of you may recall, we actually handed out pearls back then, little fake pearls to carry around in your pocket to remember your high calling, to reach people in the name of Jesus in this way. And I had a a friend uh, a church came to me recently, and he said, Jeff, your pearl got me in trouble. He pulled it out of his pocket. I'm like, dude, you still carry that pearl around? You can stop now. I mean, the series is over. And he's like, oh, this guy is so motivated. He, he's a newer Christian, and he leads spiritual exploration groups virtually, with people, uh, he understands technology way more than I, with people all over the United States through webcasts. They get together on a weekly basis and search the truth about the point of life, and he leads folks to Jesus. So cool. I'm like, how did my pearl get you in trouble? And he said, well, I keep it in my pocket, and I was going on a business trip, and I was going through security at O'Hare Airport, doing the whole thing, you know how it is, and he goes, the TSA x-ray revealed my pearl, and the guy said, what do you got in your pocket? And he pulled it out. Like, what is that? You know, and he's like, it's a pearl. And they're like, that's a real pearl? No, it's a fake pearl. They, they interrogated the poor guy. Come with us, come with us, you know. Uh, and they're examining it, you know. Why would you have a fake pearl in your pocket? Because it's church. And then he says, look, a pearl is spelled P-E-A-R-L. This is to remind me to pray, eat, ask, reveal, and love. And The TA agent said, "All right, you persuaded me. You can go." You know, and he left. So it was his knowledge of these five points that got him out of it. I will put here they are. Let me do a quick reminder for all of you. It's so simple. You can do this. Pray. Jesus said, "Pray to the Lord of the harvest that He may send out workers into His field." When you think of friends, neighbors, coworkers who are far from God, and begin to pray for them, begin to ask God to reach them that they may know Him and life eternal. Your life is marked. You are softened in your heart. You grow in compassion for your friend. Their life is marked as God responds to your prayer by his spirit and starts to move in them. Prayer is huge. Eat. I know it sounds crazy, but Jesus did this. Jesus realized that eating with people is a fantastic way to build relationships. So he was known for the guy who eats with sinners, And we too can join people over meals. It's just a natural way to build a relationship. Invite them over to your house for pizza on Friday nights. Go out to lunch at work. Go out for coffee on Saturday afternoon. Do a breakfast. Uh, Friends, there are so many chances to use dining as a way to build a mutually satisfying friendship with folks. And then ask. Jesus was not only a master parable teller, He was also a master question asker. Jesus was always, he did more asking questions than he did making statements, which is mind-boggling. And we should do the same. As we get to know someone, we should say, you know what, tell me your story. Where where were you born and raised? What what was it like growing up in your family? How how did you get into your career? How how did you meet your spouse? And people are like, you care about my story? We honor folks and deepen the relationship and trust when we ask them questions, as Jesus did. And then, eventually, as you ask questions, they're going to turn the table and say, well, you tell me your story. And so reveal your story. Be real. Be authentic with people. Tell them, oh, here's my story. And if if you're a lover of Christ, his grace, Jesus' grace, marked your life. It's a big part of your story. And just naturally share your story and how God is changing you. And then just keep loving them. Oh, the power of love to melt the hardest hearts, to find ways to tangibly love, serve them, bless them with gifts as you're so inclined, spend time loving them through just being with them. And, and friends, uh, this system... That Jesus modeled and called us to is so effective. It was funny. Darcy, who leads our uh, members' class, she just told me, she's like, Yeah, I was in members' class and she was teaching Pearl, our strategy. And one of the new Christians who's new to our church, you know, it's all new to him, they're learning this Pearl strategy. They're like, Oh, my friend who goes to the Compass Church pearled me. I now see I was pearled, you know. And they're like, Wow, does it work well? Yeah, it does so let's keep it up. That's how you compel them. Let's go back to the verse. The final phrase here, I love this. This is the vision of your heavenly father, that my house will be full. God, what do you want? He would say that my house would be full. Some people view God as like stingy and wanting to keep people out. They view him as standing at the gate of heaven saying, no, 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 we set a real high mark around here to keep the riffraff out. Get away, get away. No, that's not the heart of God at all. God is longing. He's set, he's paid the price for everybody. There is a place for them. And the invitation has been sent out. But they've got to come. Come. They've got to come and say, I admit I can't pay, I'll receive as a free gift this forgiveness Jesus offers, and I'll give you my broken life, and in that moment, they taste of the banquet, but not until they come, but know that the heart of God is to fill the house. In fact, um, if you wonder why God is delaying the end of the earth, do you ever think about that? Some people wonder, will this earth end? Yep, the Bible says it will all come to an end. This earth, and uh, the Bible also says that God is patiently delaying the end. Well, why? Well, it's found in Second Peter, verse Second Peter three, verse nine. It says, "The Lord is patient, demonstrating this patience because He is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance." the very motivation of God in delaying the end is so that more will come to his great banquet before it's too late. Friends, that's, that's where we live. This is our reality. The banquet is prepared. It's been paid for by Christ. The invitation is open to all. We are called to be his servants, to go out and not only invite, but to compel people. You don't want to miss this. It's the point of life. It's the greatest thing. It's what you've been longing for, even though you may not have realized it. And what a privilege we have. Do you see how grace compels when you understand understanding what he's extending to the world as a free gift? It motivates us to get in the game. Evangelism used to freak me out, but I've been motivated to get in the game. Can I share just a little story with you? I, I have a, a friend who is a... Uh, auto mechanic, father of four, and a spiritual seeker. He and I have been getting together at my office, having coffee, talking about life, talking about the Bible. He doesn't buy it, but he likes to discuss it. And I've kind of helped him understand the great invitation to God's banquet. And he's just been like, yeah, that's fascinating, but no thanks. And I just kept loving on him, enjoying our friendship, trying to make it clear and benefiting from him. He's benefiting from me, but no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. Two weeks ago, I get a text message from my friend. Call me ASAP. I call him and he's crying. At first I thought, oh man, what's wrong? And then he's like, man, these are happy tears. I'm like, what's up? He said, I said yes to Jesus. And with full hearted passion, He said, the Lord brought me to the end of myself and I get it and I'm in, I'm in. And I hung up the phone just with my heart exploding and I felt the joy of God saying, yes, I've been inviting him for decades and he came, he came, he came. It's the passion of God and he wants to use you. And I know it's easy to say, I can't, no way, I don't know enough, I got no. Listen, you can do pearl, you can do inviting And as you walk in faithfulness, God will use you. And we're a big church, a bunch of campuses. That makes the opportunity remarkable. If we all obey, fumble around, you know, not doing this well. You don't have to do it well. The Spirit of God will make up where we are weak. And we will see in the days ahead, even in this Easter season, God move in remarkable ways, bringing people to the great banquet. Let's pray. Great story, Lord. It says it well. We thank you for making it a banquet of the highest order. We thank you for making it free. And we thank you for making us inviters to that banquet. God, we're wanting... Actually, let me pause and say this. Maybe some even now say, I want to say yes to the invitation. I've never said yes. And so in this sacred moment, God, hear our cry. Yes, Jesus, we want in. You made us free by the death on the cross. Why would I say no? I say, yes, take my life, Lord. Wash away my sin and lead me from here on out. You are the love of my life. And for the rest of us, God, we want to be courageous people representing you to a world that needs you so bad. Help us take those baby steps of obedience in this regard and use us in ways we never thought possible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.